Amen. Father God, we thank you that your promises are good. We thank you that your character is unchanging. We thank you that your faithfulness is unflinching. And for those of us who walked into this space or those of us who are joining us online who have questions about your goodness or your consistency, Lord, I pray that you would reveal your heart for us. You would reveal your strong hand. You would remind us that you're not limited in any way. And because of your capacity to provide and your great love for us, we don't have to be afraid. Uh, We come into this moment with gratitude, believing that you are drawing us close to your heart so that we can walk with you in hope and peace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. There is much to be thankful for. If you are a Holland men's soccer fan, there's a lot to celebrate. Uh, Won the first state championship in the school's history. And uh, if you're a Sparty fan, there's a lot to be grateful for. Some of you are at the game. And if you're a Michigan fan, you can too. So like, you know, sports all around. Good day. Uh, Some of you are thankful for the fact that you got to sleep in. Others of you are not thankful because you forgot, and that's okay. Uh, but there, there are many, many things that we can be grateful for, and we're kicking off uh, a new series called Thanks Again, and we've subtitled it Cultivating Gratitude in a Greedy World. Cultivating Gratitude in a Greedy World. I, I don't know about you, but I've noticed a marked shift in the kind of mail that I'm receiving these days. Is anybody else experiencing a massive influx of catalogs? Like, we're getting catalogs like crazy in preparation for Christmas. We're getting toy catalogs, we're getting clothing catalogs, we're getting REI catalogs, we're just getting all sorts of catalogs. And I remember when Kelly and I, a few years ago in our marriage, we went through the Dave Ramsey kind of financial well-being class. He said this, he goes, if you want to avoid debt, every time you get a catalog, throw it away immediately. Like, don't flip through, don't flip through that thing. You know why? Because when you flip through a catalog, you are reminded of something that you need that five minutes ago you did not know existed. And that, that's, that's why we have this, this world that, like, the day after uh, October 31st, we immediately start marketing Christmas. We start thinking about all the things that we want and all the things we have to buy and all the things that we need to give. And then we take a little tiny break to be thankful For one day, we're thankful, and then the very next day, we go shopping, right? So we have this build-up to greed. We have this, like, break for turkey and football, and, like, one moment to say, God, you give me a lot, I'm thankful. And then the next day, you're like, I want more. need more. I got to get more. And so we said, what if, instead of just having one day, what if we built the whole month as a chance for us to be grateful? Because I don't know about you, but in this world, I, I need a daily infusion of gratitude into my spiritual bloodstream to combat the toxicity that is greed. That's what, that's what I need. And thankfulness isn't just something that we trip on. Thankfulness is something that we choose. Gratitude is a muscle that we flex. And with practice, it is something that we get better at. So it's my hope that we could be the kind of people that are modeling gratitude, not just in our worship, but in our relationships and our walk with Christ in every day and in every way. Over the next three weeks, we'll look at God's provision for us. We'll look at God's protection for us. We'll look at God's redemption. In the third week, we're going to be celebrating both communion and a baptism. So we've got one individual who wants to get baptized. We've got room for one, maybe a couple more. So if you haven't been baptized as a public profession of your faith, you let us know, and we'll see if we can make that happen on November the 19th. And then on Thanksgiving Day, we're going to celebrate all the things that God has done, very specific stories that God has done in and around our community in the last year. So Jesus teaches us to pray this. Jesus has this great line in the Lord's Prayer where he says, give us this day our daily bread. 
Matthew 6, 11. But why does Jesus ask us to pray that? Is Jesus concerned that God needs a reminder to feed us? Like, does God need to hear our prayer to feed us? No, no, no. I think the reason that that's in there is so that you and I can be reminded that our provision comes from God. When we pray, it's not like God was going to forget to give us what we needed in that moment. When we pray, we're reminding ourselves, not only of our great need for God, but of God's both capacity and his desire to provide for us on a regular basis. And that whole idea of daily bread is familiar to us. Most of us can kind of trace it back to that prayer. But to Jesus' original Jewish audience, daily bread had a very substantial and significant meaning. And we find it in Exodus chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Exodus 16. It's on page 71. If you've got your phone, you can pull it up in whatever respective app you use. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. I'm going to read the chapter in its entirety. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month that they had come out of Egypt. So they've been free for all of, what, 45 days. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt! There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Is the Israelites being melodramatic again. They're being filled with rage and fury. I love this line. They're like, it wasn't just that we had it good in Egypt. They said, we ate meat until we were sick. Any other carnivores in the room? Anybody else eaten meat to the point that you were ill? I am ashamed to acknowledge this out loud, but one of my wife's good friends, her husband is the regional manager for Shake Shack, which is an East Coast burger joint. And when they opened their first location in Detroit, we got in for like the grand premiere night before opening. Now the problem is that I should only be allowed to have one Smoke Shack burger, like this pepper jack cheese, this delectable bacon over meat. I should only be allowed one of those in a sitting. The problem was, in this environment, they had servers walking around with trays, and I would finish one, and another one would be, like, right in front of me. I'm like, it would be poor stewardship not to grab one. Like, I can't have it go to waste. So, I, I think at the end of the day, I had, like, five burgers and, like, three cheese fries and half of two shakes. It was a poor decision all across the board. But I, that was my equivalent of the Israelites saying, we had pots of meat. They were good days. That's, that's what they're saying. They're like, we, got, we went from having everything we ever wanted to having nothing. What gives? Then the Lord said to Moses, and God didn't just say, I'll send bread. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord who gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord. He's heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. 
Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God is saying, you will know that I am real when you receive provision from me. When I provide for you, you can know that I exist. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, approximately three pounds, for each person you have in your tent. So one pound per person per meal. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered, did not have too mu- who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Why? Because God promised to send it every day. So if you kept more than you needed on any given day, what did it prove? It betrayed your doubt that God was going to send bread tomorrow. God said, only take what you need on the day. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. You think? Anytime somebody brings food into a living residence and it turns into bugs, I get angry too. So Moses said, why? Why, how, why is it so hard for you to trust God? And it reminds us that over time, greed rots and stinks and festers. Greed will result in something disgusting in our lives and in the lives of the people that we claim to love. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. I love that God even includes cooking instructions for said manna. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. My Bible footnote says that manna sounds like the Hebrew phrase for what is it? It was like white coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. I love it. God's given them golden grams every day. <laughs> Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So take that one of those daily servings, take three pounds, and keep it in a jar so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an epa. They ate manna the entire time. 14,550 days of manna. If you were Joshua and Caleb, you had manna for 43,000 straight meals. 
There's a lot, a lot of that manna. And what I love is it says that they put it in a jar and they were able to preserve a sample of manna in the Ark of the Covenant, God's sacred golden box, for centuries. We, we know that the Ark of the Covenant lasted until the establishment of the, of the kind of Davidic kingdom and even into the reign of Solomon so that the, there was at least 600 years where this preserved jar of manna rested with the tablets so that every time the people, the priests opened up the box, they were not only reminded of God's command, but they were reminded of God's kindness. But the story starts with what? The story starts with grumbling. Like the, the word that you read more than anything else is grumbling. And we're reminded that grumbling always reveals greed. Grumbling reveals greed. When we complain, it's born out of a sense of entitlement that I don't have all that God owes me, and as a result, I get to complain until I get it. I started to realize in my own life that when we're hungry for stuff, we lose sight of the story. We're hungry for stuff, we lose sight of the story. And what God was doing with the people of Israel is is saying, I brought you out of this place, and I'm taking you to this place, and I promise to sustain you in the middle. But because they were so focused on what they didn't have, they didn't have meat, they didn't have bread, they couldn't step back and say, oh wow, there is a larger narrative to what is happening in this moment. God has a big picture. And when you and I get stuck in 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 that vortex, in that whirlpool of complaint, we cannot grasp who God is, what God is doing, and where we fit in the larger story. So I believe that when we focus on difficult circumstances, rather than on what God is and who God is doing, it's difficult to see how he's already at work. This story kind of models for us the Israelites walking on a journey to gratitude. And there are a couple stops on the journey to gratitude, and the first stop is always this. We whine. We whine before we're grateful. And why do we whine? We whine because we think God is holding out on me. For the Israelites, it was very specific. They, they said, God is not feeding us, and so he just he brought us out and left us hanging. Let me ask you this. Have you caught yourself complaining in this season of your life? And if so, what are you complaining about? And what is at the root of that grumbling? Let me offer you a suggestion. Is it possible that many of us are complaining because we believe something about God that is not true? At the baseline for our whining, we don't believe that God sees us, that God cares, that God has our best interests in mind, or that God is going to come through for us in a way that is right for God. And as a result, we just, we just start whining. And we think that God, just like Adam and Eve got tempted by the serpent into believing in something that wasn't true about God, we thought that God was withholding rather than extending goodness to us. Then we've got this kind of next step. We, we grumble like the Israelites did, and then God actually gives us a gift, but, they, but they, didn't get, they didn't get like loaves of bread. There wasn't like a Wonder Bread truck that just rolled up. There was, God provided in a way that was new. God provided in a way that was mysterious. God provided in a way that they didn't even fully understand, which is why they called manna. I don't know what this is. So the first stop in our journey to gratitude is that we whine. The next step, when God provides for us, even in a way that's not clear to us, is we wonder. And we start to ask this question. What, what is it that God has given? What, what, what is this? 
And one of the things that the Israelites learned, and one of the things that we need to learn, is that God promises to provide us daily bread. There is no guarantee that it comes slathered in an artisan raspberry jalapeno jelly. God's provision might not be exotic, but it's always enough. You ever had a season in your life where you asked God for filet and he gave you fiber? You know what the appropriate response to that is? Thank you. I had a friend who just told me this awesome story about how when he raised his children when they were at a very young age and they would complain, he would always ask them this question. He's like, what do you deserve? And they would all answer in unison, nothing. Like he was, he was trying to like root entitlement out of them. And I remember when I was a young dad, probably not one of my greatest moments, I took Grace, who is now 13, to our neighborhood park. So Kelly was at work and I would, she was getting amped up and I, w- I would get restless. And so I took her to the park and I would swing her in one of the toddler swings. And to this day, I could take her to a park anywhere. She'll jump on, she'll jump on swings. She just, she just loves, that's where she relaxes. She's an introvert. She naturally recharges where she's just swinging back and forth. So she was on a swing, and we were there for like a good two hours. And like for me, that's, that's great. Like that's, that's dad of the year caliber swing time, two hours. And she loved it so much that when I stopped the swing, she immediately lost her ever-loving mind. How many of you had toddlers resist you with all of their bones? And some of them, they, like, they go limp, they do this conscientious uh, civil rights protester move where they just like won't move. She, did, she was worse. She would go bored. She would just go like completely, she'd start planking on me. And I'm trying to like bend her limbs to get her out, and she's screaming. She's like, I don't want to leave. And I go, hey, I didn't have to bring you here at all. The correct response is, thank you, daddy. (laughs) She did not say that, and that was uh, not one of my better moments. But in my mind, I'm like, hey, why are you complaining? I already gave you more than you deserve, and more than I was prepared to give, and more than I wanted to give. And is it possible that sometimes God says to us, why are you complaining? I've given you much. I've given you much. Like the Israelites, some of us are asking, okay, I know that God has provided something. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we need to get creative with what God has already given rather than asking God for more? We need to get creative with what God has already given rather than asking God for more. God is a creator. He has created us in his image. Therefore, we have the capacity for creativity, for innovation, for ingenuity. And sometimes we just say, like, well, God, I can't figure this out. Will you give me the right answer? And many times God says, I have given you all of the materials that you need to construct the raft that will float you through this flood. It's time to roll up your sleeves and get to work. What I, lo- what I loved about this is the manna didn't come prepackaged. What did the people have to do? The people actually had to go out with a basket and pick the manna up. They had to participate in the full act of receiving what God had provided. And sometimes God says, I, ha- I, have, go- I have provided much. Are you ready to put it in the basket, and are you ready to boil it? Because there's, there is something that you get to do in this process that allows you to receive what I have given. So sometimes we have to participate with God in what it is that he's provided. And just because God doesn't always give what we ask, when we ask for it, how we ask for it, doesn't mean that God is not providing for our core needs. This last week we had a privilege of being on a staff retreat, and one of our team members told just an amazing story of the recovery journey that she has been on. And when she was done with her testimony, we all had opportunity to recite the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr again. And some of you are familiar with the first part of it. And I had forgotten what was in the second portion. And it says this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. 
that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. I love that line. That if I surrender to his will, I can expect that I would be what? Reasonably happy in this life. I think there are some of us who think that because God loves us and because God is God and because God can do anything, God is obligated to give us a life that is devoid of any challenge, any wrinkle, any obstacle. And God says, oh no, that supremely happy life, that life is coming. But the life that we're in now is the reasonably happy life. And if we are people who are carving neural pathways of gratitude in our brains, you know what? We will be reasonably happy people. But if we're committed to grumbling and we're living a life of entitlement and we don't believe that God is already actively working to supply all of our needs, reasonable happiness will continue to evade us. So if the first stop on the journey to gratitude is that we whine and the second is that we wonder, I I think God is at work here, but I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to work. God gave manna, but I haven't seen it before, so I'm going, what, what, what is this? Then the last step is this, we remember. We remember. Verse 32 says, the Lord commanded, take an omer of manna and keep it in a jar so that future generations can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So the first question that we ask is, why is God holding out on me? And the second question that we ask is, how is God doing this? Then the third question we ask is this, when was God good? When was God good? If you've ever seen a commercial for a mutual fund, uh, there's always a fine print at the end that's actually required by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And it says this, a fund's past performance does not necessarily predict future results. But the truth is, it's important for us to remember what God has done for us. Because then we can get stuck. We can know that with God, past performance is indicative of future results. If God was faithful in October, God will be faithful in November. If God was faithful in 2000 and 2005 and 2015, then God will be faithful in 2025. We can know that about God. Hebrews 13, 5b says, be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If God was good, I can be confident he will be good again. And when God is good, we cannot be anything other than thankful. So on Wednesday night, my daughter went to our middle school ministry, Ignite. They had a worship event that involved a bunch of other churches. And one of the amazing volunteers and team members for our ministry had given Grace a ride. And when I picked her up and brought her home, I was like, hey... You like Brie, don't you? You're grateful for her. And she gave me this awesome middle school comeback, almost rolling her eyes. She's like, Dad, how could I not be grateful for her? (laughs) Like, it's so obvious that I would be thankful to her. God has just given me a gracious person. And and Kelly and I, we're we're just over the moon grateful that God is, in fact, providing people for our kids in this kind of transition season where there are new schools, new friends, new ministries, new opportunities, that God is providing people who they trust. Uh, and people who they feel loved by. And when I thought about that, I thought, wow, that is a, that's a fair question, Grace. How could I not be thankful? If we believe that God loves us, and we believe that God has provided for us in material ways, in spiritual ways, in physical ways, how can we be anything other than thankful? And I love it. What God said to them is he goes, I want you to take a jar, and I want you to bring it with you. And I want you to fill that jar with three pounds of manna. Here's the question that I want to ask you in light of this narrative. Have you ever stopped to put your joy in a jar? 
Have you ever stopped to put your joy in a jar? Israelites kept this for hundreds of years to celebrate God's faithfulness. And I think it's just absolutely amazing that he reminds them time after time again that God has been good to them. And what I love about this is that when you put your joy in a jar, and different people do this different ways. I've seen some families who they'll have a bulletin board, and then just just pin things on that bulletin board, just images or quotes that will remind them of God's faithfulness. Other people, they'll take a photo album, and they'll fill the photo album with different images that represent different seasons of their lives where God came through for them. Other people, they'll have a, I know some families, they'll have a prayer box on their kitchen table, and they'll just fill the box with slips of prayers that God has already answered. And what I love about this is that this wasn't just for one family, this was for generations of families. That not that your children would know that God is good, but, your, but should, should Jesus tarry and should God be faithful, but that your great, 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 great grandchildren would have something to point to and they'd say, oh, God has been good to our family. My mother was born at the tail end of the Great Depression. And she grew up on a farm in central Indiana, and I remember her telling us there were, there were weeks where as a small child, she and her mother baked homemade cakes and pies, and they brought them to the farmer's market, not for additional income, but so that they could save the farm. Because in some, some seasons, they didn't have any idea if they would keep their home or their livelihood. And I remember my mom telling me those stories, and I never forgot it, because she was saying, for whatever reason, God just kept showing up and showing up and showing up. What I love about the the joy in a jar principle is God is saying there is a missional component to gratitude. So that when children of a particular generation who might not have any knowledge or interest in God would say, hey, what's this thing? And somebody would tell them the story, oh, what this is? This is evidence that not only is God real, but God loves us. And God takes care of us. And God has taken care of this family every single day. And you, small one, are only here because God has been good to this family. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we remember what God has done? Well, just a few quick suggestions before we wrap. The first one is this, list your gifts. Have you ever actually stopped to, to write out the gifts that you have? Do you have a tangible practice where you can capture and celebrate the ways that God has been faithful? I was going through a season where I was struggling with some anger and resentment and frustration, and a friend of mine challenged me. He goes, here's Steve, Steve, here's what I want you to do. Instead of focusing on everything that's going wrong, I want you in a journal to write 10 new things, 10 different things every day that you're grateful for. And I did that for a week, and like my complaining didn't disappear, but it dropped by like a good 40%. And then I did that for another week and another week, and I just kept repeating it until finally I had gotten over that kind of hump of grumbling and entitlement in that unique season of my life. Some families, you do the high-low exercise, right? You go around the dinner table and you celebrate the best moments. Well, what would happen if you captured the best moments and actually had a literal jar and put them in there? What would happen if you had a joy jar as a centerpiece and you just filled it? Like maybe, maybe you put in a, an MRI that finally had a clean scan and that was something that your family was going to celebrate. Or some of you have been trying for years to conceive, and you, when you, God finally gave you that ultrasound picture, that, that goes in the joy jar. You're like, God is an answer of prayers. 
How many of you have been to a, a small business like a restaurant and they've got the first dollar that they made framed on the wall? What is that? That's a version of joy in the jar saying God was faithful to us and our dream. Took something that we just threw out there on a shoestring and a prayer and God honored it. And we are where we are because of that. And what would happen is if by the time you got to Thanksgiving, you didn't have that awkward moment where everybody had 30 seconds to make something up that they were thankful for. If we tried this over the next three weeks, and this was our centerpiece when we got to Thanksgiving, nobody was under, like, pressure to come up with something innovative that they were grateful for. All you, could, all you had to do is you just pick up the jar. You start going through the slips of paper or going through the pictures or going through the screen grabs of something that you saw that reminded you of God's goodness and put it in the jar. Many of us keep pretending that our jars are empty when, in fact, God has given us more than enough. So what are you doing in your life to list your gifts? When I first started getting curious about the recovery ministry, I was talking to a friend who is uh, in AA, and he said, Steve, um, just so that I can cultivate a spirit of humility and gratitude in my life, I, I start every day on my knees. It is a physical reminder that this day is a gift. And he goes, and then I would end every day on my knees. Because if by the grace of God I had been able to avoid temptation, I was thankful that I was still standing, that I was still alive, that I was still sober. So I don't, I don't know what mechanism you're going to choose to use, but find something. Find something practical, tangible, usable that your family can use to chronicle the goodness of God. And then when you do that, look to the Father. Whenever you are tempted to get stuck in the weeds, I want you to lift your eyes up. Like the psalm says, I lift my eyes up to the, to the hills. That's where, that's where my salvation comes from. James chapter 1, verse 16 says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Saying every good and perfect gift is from God. And God is the father of light, and he doesn't flinch when life gets scary. So whenever we get rattled, all we have to do is look up and be reminded that he knows what we need before we even ask for it. He is our good, good father. So we remember, we can list our gifts, we can look to the father, and then finally, we can lift our voice. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18b through 20 says this, Instead, rather than getting drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. When? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. He says, when do we give thanks? Always. What do we give thanks for? Everything. How do we give thanks? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's how you know that your life is infused by the Holy Spirit, is that everything that you do, you're doing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that it is emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, theologically, physically impossible? It is Im you, you cannot complain in the name of Jesus. Can't be done. You cannot say, I'm grumpy about this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can't be done. Not allowed to do it. So, what, so the inverse is what? The inverse says this, is that we can only be thankful for things that frighten us and terrify us when we know God is at work within us. So we were in the, we were in the prayer room right before the 9 o'clock service, and we were talking with our friend Ed, and somebody was checking up with him on his cancer diagnosis, and they said, what are the doctors going to do? And he said, just without, without flinching, without any emotion, without any fanfare, he goes, nothing. It's terminal. And then he said this, so I've ordered hospice, 
He goes, and those people are amazing. Now, that's not normal. It's not normal to be given a death sentence and then be able to hit pause and say, I'm so angered in my hope of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for every remaining day that I get because I don't know how many I have. And I'm going to be, I'm just immensely blessed by the people who are walking that journey with me. Why would, why would somebody say that? Because he's living his life in Jesus' name. And there are some of us who have, we have circumstances where like, I can't give, I can't give thanks for this. Yesterday I was reading through the book of Psalms. There's this beautiful line from the story of Joseph. This is Psalm 105, 18 and 19 from the NLT. It said that when Joseph was in prison, it says that they bruised his feet with fetters and they placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. So when there are a lot of times in my life where I feel constrained, where I'm not getting what I want, when circumstances aren't going my way, when I'm running head to head with physical people, what can I do? I can thank God that he has given me dreams that are bigger than my circumstances. And then what else can I do? I can thank God that he is using this season to shape, form, mold, and refine me. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather have the prize at the bottom of the box and have to eat through all the cereal to get there. But sometimes God says, there's something I want you to learn in this season. And what I have to do then is I have to say, God, I thank you that you love me enough to bring me through this set of circumstances to conform me to your likeness. Because if I'm patient and I'm persevering and I'm obedient, you promise that I'll look more like Jesus at the end of this run than I did at the beginning. Those of us who are parents, sometimes the discipline of our children or adding structure or adding boundaries is not what our kids ask for, but we see something about them that they can't see. And we know that if we can harness all of that energy and all of that enthusiasm that sometimes manifests itself in obnoxiousness and pettiness and brattiness, if we can harness that, we can shape them into the person that God created them to be. And if you cannot find anything to be thankful for at all, be thankful for this. Say, God, I thank you that I can bring my burdens to the foot of the cross, that I don't have to bury them alone. And I thank you that you are bringing me through the fire to consume anything that is not you from my heart and my mind and my life. Will you use this run to make me more like you? Do you think that is a prayer that God burns to answer? It is. It is. So here's my challenge for us, those, those, us family here at Central Wesleyan Church and everybody who's participating from beyond these walls. Let's commit to making this season where we find a jar and we throw some joy in it. And on the days when we feel less than joyful, come back to the jar. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you love every person who uh, is in this room. Every person who's participating in what you're doing in and around this place. And God, I thank you that you keep giving us good things. Your word says that you withhold no good thing from us. And for some of us, the challenge in this season is us trusting that you know what is good for us. There's some of us who aren't getting things that we want, and we don't understand why. Will you give us grace to trust your heart when we don't understand your hands? God, continue to fill us with an understanding that you are giving us bread every single day. And all you ask 
is that we trust you in how we use it and how we present you to others with grateful hearts. We pray these things in Christ.